Looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Crispy. Thank you very much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week. And this week, week 36, is no exception. Welcome, everybody. To live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. That's right. We're live from Detroit. Jeff, is that new? Yeah, it's new. I added it. Slightly new name, new year, new vibe, new logo. Hope you love it. Same podcast you've come to love each and every week. Just a new name. We're now live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show with Jeff Duoskin. That's me. I'm Jeff Duoskin. So here we are. Welcome. And guess what? First guest. With the updated name is the one and only king of Detroit, David Landau. That's right. Comedian David Landau wrote Star of the King of Detroit. That's right. He's here. You've seen him on Last Comic Standing. You've seen him on Comedy Central. He's the David Landau in the Anthony Cumia Show with David Landau. Yes, that David Landau. He's here, and we're going to be talking in just a little bit. You're going to love it. But first, some housekeeping tips. If this is your first time listening to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show, go hit subscribe and like and follow us on any of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, Humbly, Podchaser, anywhere. We're everywhere. Pick your favorite and tune in week after week after week. Can't thank you enough. And then when you fall in love with Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show, tell a friend. Share the link. Say, hey, you gotta listen to this episode. Can you believe it? Who's he talked to? Well, I know, just last week he was talking to Horace H.B. Sanders. You mean the guy that won Star Search? Yes. You mean the hilarious comedian? Yes, yes. So many great comedians and actors. It's a rich backlog of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Tawaskin Show. Make sure all your friends know. Make sure their 2021 is just as great as yours. A lot of people are like, Jeff, we love the show. How can we support you? Well, listening and subscribing and sharing, that's the greatest way you can support me ever. If you want to buy me a coffee, I signed up at buymeacoffee.com slash Jeff Duoskin Show. You can go there, buy me a coffee. I'll drink it. I'll think of you. I'll even call your name out on the show while I'm sipping it. No biggie. You'll love it, though. Also, really great thing you could do, go to jeffisfunny.com. That's my show's website. From there, you can click on subscribe, and it has links to all the platforms that I mentioned earlier. But also, there's a link to the mailing list. Sign up for my mailing list. I send out emails, keep you updated on all the cool things going on in the Jeff DeWaskin world. One of them being every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, we do a live show called Crossing the Streams. The only week we missed was last week where they were storming the Capitol. We just didn't think it was the right vibe to do a live comedy show but check out crossing the streams this wednesday and every wednesday at 9 30 p.m eastern and a bunch of my friends come with me and we have guests and we talk about great shows that you should stream online it's great we do it every week it's one hour long you can catch it on youtube or my twitter account big macher or you can go on facebook facebook.com slash jeff it's funny which is the home of the Jeff Dewaskin show on Facebook. You can watch live from any of those. And then also the replay. We're also on Twitch if you're someone who enjoys the Twitch. All right. And now it's time for the social media tip. Okay, here it is. On Twitter, 
make sure you're taking advantage of the pinned tweet. A lot of people don't do that. The pinned tweet is something that can stick at the top. Yeah, it, you know, because the reality is when you tweet something, you know, whoever sees it sees it, but then it kind of gets lost. So if you want to give it some new life, and anyone who comes to your timeline, will see, that's the first thing they'll see. Pin the tweet. What should I pin, Jeff? Well, you should pin something maybe that did really good and you can show off. Hey, look at I got lots of retweets here. Or if you're trying to build your mailing list, put a mailing list tweet there. Or if it's something about your business or the latest video you did or something you really just want everyone to see, just pin it. That's it. Simple as that. It's great real estate right on your page. Tons of people do visit your page. And why not give them something really special to see? from you. And that's a social media tip. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone who supports the sponsors week after week after week. So many people are writing and texting me and emailing me about last week's sponsor, the 2021 calendars. You have them all proudly put on your walls, thanking me for reminding them that it was 2021. So I hope you're enjoying those. And thank you again for supporting our sponsors. They didn't come back this week, however, but we do have a new sponsor. That's right. We have a new sponsor this week. The Chrysler the Baron. Luxury no longer is defined by price. Whether you want four doors or two doors, the Chrysler the Baron is probably right for you. Genuine leather seating? That's right. I said genuine leather seating. Can't afford leather? No problem. Their velour seating is the most comfortable available today. And you could be cruising down the highway with that cassette or 8-track turned all the way up. That's right. Engines come standard now, and you can go from zero to 60 in a reasonable amount of time. That's right. The Chrysler LeBaron, the pride of Chrysler. All right. Well, thank you. It's always good to have a new sponsor. So everyone check them out if you're looking for new wheels uh, or you need to get one as a gift. The Chrysler LeBaron is the perfect option for you. Yeah, so definitely check out the sponsor. Support the sponsor. That's how we keep the lights on. Here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duwaskin Show. I mean, without further ado, I want to now share my conversation with you that I had with the hilarious David Landau. All right. Excited for my next guest. You've seen him on Comedy Central, Last Comic Standing, Star of the King of Detroit, host of the Anthony Cumia Show with David Landau. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Dave Landau. How are you, sir? Good. How about you, man? I'm doing good. It's good to see you. It's been a little bit. Yes, it's been, well, at least a year, probably. At least a year. Dave Landau is, right now, the reigning co-host of the Anthony Cumia Show, which is now the Anthony Cumia Show with Dave Landau. Yes. <laughs> so that's It's so exciting, because I see you, uh, like you just interviewed uh, the, the guy from Run DMC. Yes. Like, you've been rubbing elbows with some pretty cool people. How did the, the whole... Anthony Cumia, because you're from Detroit. That's where is that? That's out. Uh, New York. In yeah, New yeah. York. So yeah, I live. I have an apartment in New York, and uh, I have my home in Detroit. So it's an interesting lifestyle right now, especially during COVID. But I started coming in. I was a fan of Opie and Anthony years ago, and Bob Phillips actually, who's a mutual friend of ours, thought that I would be a good fit for the show. So he recommended me to the Booker. Allie at the time, and she really liked me, and she invited me in, and Anthony and I just sort of hit it off. And just in the fact that we both like like offensive comedy and like making jokes, and um, our politics aren't the same, but we'll just make fun of anything and everything. So we had that going for us, and then we had, uh, for a little while, Artie Lang came in, and it was the Artie and Anthony show. And Artie was having some trouble coming in 
every day on time and getting there so he needed somebody to kind of be a third mic and both Artie and Anthony decided that it should be me which was really kind of crazy and I got offered the job I assumed it wouldn't last very long but I would just move to New York rent an apartment and now I've been here for two years so I just got lucky I got a lucky little break it's, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to do radio every day I talked about Phillips all the time. He's got a dartboard with your picture on it. He's like, and he just yeah. drinks and says, it should have been mine. It should have <laughs> <Yes>. been mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's really bitter about it. So bitter. He just, yeah, sends me dick pics. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, angry, angry man. <laughs> a lot of people would have been. Bob is thankfully one of the nicest people. But I could see a lot of people would have been, oh, man. Oh, it's it's a dream come true, but it's like anything else. It's a job, and you attract people, and it's, how can I word it? Everything that looks amazing has its pratfalls. So I love it. I love being able to do it, but everything that comics always think they want, then you get it, and you go, okay, well, what next? Where do I go? There's really no end game to any of this. Well, it's pretty exciting. It's, it's just fun that you you got such a big thing. How are you handling the whole Detroit? You got your kid, you got, you know, you got your family here, you know. I, how are you balancing it all? Um, my son is in a private school, which is good. We just make it work. I mean, it's really no different than being on the road. So you just leave for a few days, then you come home for a few days, they come out to where I'm at. We make it work, we've always made it work, and my son I talk to every single night, and every time I'm home, it's 100% about him. So we just play games, make videos, watch movies, go to miniature golf. Whatever it is, you know, I almost feel like sometimes I'm like the divorced dad who's trying to win over my son every single week. But he he loves me and he's used to it. You know, since the day he was born, I traveled. So he's just completely used to it, which is which is good. He loves what I do. He's fascinated by it. And I hope he never does it. I hope he does something with his life that's far more enjoyable. But I don't know. I sound bitter. I'm really not. Nobody can see it. Dave's smiling when he's saying I am smiling. So you sort of invented a new father type, right? You invented the divorced father that's not divorced. (laughs) Yes. Right? So that's like, that must be, uh, that must be awesome for your kid. It actually is great. Yeah, Yeah, he loves it. It's really cool because it's a It's just a different way to be raised. He gets to go on the road, he gets to travel, he gets to see a lot of places, and then at the same time, he's very grounded, gets to be home, gets to, you know, I I get to be a dad, and there's nothing in the world that's more important to me than that. It's amazing. My kids were much, well, no, I shouldn't say that. When I started, uh, I had one, oh, wait, my brain (laughs) is completely right. Yeah, so when we met, your kids were little or not born yet. Well, yeah, yeah, because I just had this, I have this problem with time frames, and honestly, in my head, it it didn't compute in my head how long I had been doing comedy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It just didn't make sense in my head that I've been doing comedy for 18 years. (laughs) Right. (laughs) As I went to say my kid, they must have been only... Anyway, so yeah, right. So when I first did comedy, my second child was born like a month later. So I had one that was two already. So it was funny when they were, were older, and by older, you know, like 16, 17... And then all their friends were on YouTube and stuff, and they would see the clips that I put on, and they'd all be huddled in, and we're like, we're watching uh, Sophie and Emma's dad on <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> and then they would do the jokes, and then my youngest wouldn't pretend that she didn't see it, but my oldest would pretend she didn't see it. And then, like, it was just funny. It was just, it was a little weird, because my kids were never 
old enough. And then the funny thing is when my kid was finally old enough to actually come to the club, I think 18, you can get into one of the clubs. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't want to go. <laughs> right. She had no interest. It's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got to be so different too when your dad's a comic where you're not looking up to it. We also grew up in a different way where you had only however many channels and the fame was something that was actually attainable and you knew who comics were and it's a totally different world. And now, yeah, like I'm terrified of the fact that my son's going to just look on YouTube one day and be like, so I was watching your video about you being arrested and I was watching this other, you know, I, I'm very open about my life and there's so much stuff and so much content on YouTube that I'm not going to be able to hide much from him. No, but he will be able to one day grow up and see you get a kiss from Pamela Anderson. So that's pretty That's cool. very, yes, very true. It's how I got the hep C. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that was a career highlight. There is that moment where you're like, wow, that just happened. She was looking good. I'd let, I've i always been a fan of Pamela Anderson. <laughs> yeah, she's very pretty. I remember my dad caught us looking at um, her Playboy in the back of his van when we were all playing Little League Baseball. So he opens up the back hatch of his Pontiac Transport, and there's five of my friends circled around looking at a Playboy. And he just looks at it and goes, she's pretty. That's all he said. <laughs> Just let us keep it. Well, your dad had good taste, so there we go. Yes, he was like, look, I'm not going to, I can't tell you you're wrong. So, But yeah, she was very pretty. It's funny because people will ask like, oh, is she really good looking? And she, I mean, come on, she's older. It's like, dude, she's a super, she's an actual supermodel. Like, I don't think she'll ever be unattractive. No, she's, you know, I think, I think people think she's not intelligent, but I mean, she's, she isn't, I didn't, I don't get the impression just from like, all the stuff she's done with all the TV shows that she's led. I mean, like she's, I think she knows what she's doing. She just. Yeah. I don't think you become that successful without a little bit of intelligence. And yeah. she also, uh, Jimmy Fela, who's a friend of mine, wrote her stand up for that show. And she kind of knocked it out of the park, to be honest. I mean, she hit every punchline and the crowd loved her. You know, it wasn't, she didn't turn it into a career. She was just doing it for the night and she did it very well. That's too bad because her and Screech, they could have toured. That could have yeah, been Yeah, there's a, big... a lot of. What was the guy's name from uh, Family Ties? Oh, Skippy. The guy Skippy. Skippy. He's still touring. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of great acts out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just talking about that. Jeremy Piven got me tooed and he became a stand up. It's the only profession where you can be an awful human being and they're like, it's all right. You can still do stand up comedy. <laughs> find that you killed six people in a drunk driving accident have you tried stand-up comedy people would like to take a picture with you right <laughs> so sad kramer what, what the hell is his name My, uh, michael richards right right he 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 like he kind of when he came out with the n-word and they got them on tape there was nothing ever worse that you could do than that so he kind of set the bar so high that it's like anyone else can just slip under you really can limbo under that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i met him just before that Oh, yeah? I, he, terrible human being. Um, Is he? Oh, my a God. really an awful person. Yes. We were at the Comedy and Magic Club, and he was extraordinarily rude. Uh, he was doing push-ups. And I went up to him, and I was hosting, and I said, hey, can I get your intro? And he stands up, and uh, I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this. Yeah, go ahead. So, okay, so he's... St- <laughs> I go over, and I go, yeah, I just want to get your intro. He goes, what the... F-? Uh, he goes, don't you see that I'm busy? I said, yeah, I, I see you are, but I just, you're going on next. And Larry David was on stage, like Kevin Nealon's there, Dom Herrera. It's a, it's a club in Los Angeles. It's filled with heavy hitters. I'm not 
that impressed that you're Michael Richards. So I'm like, All right, no, I just need your intro for the show. I don't want to bother you. And he goes, okay. And he stands up and I go to shake his hand. He goes, yeah, I don't do that. And I go, okay. I go, so uh, what would you like your intro to be? He goes, what the fuck do you think I want my intro to be? And I was like, Seinfeld? And he goes, so what, I'm a wash-up? I don't have anything else going on? And I go, uh, trial and error? Because I just started getting pissed. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, just say Seinfeld. I think they'll know who I am. And I was like, okay. He goes, here's the deal. Don't shake my hand. He goes, you go up on that stage, and you bring me up, and you get off that stage. Do not stand up there. Wait. Do not stand up there and shake my hand. You bring me up, and you get off. Do you understand? And I was like, yeah, I, I understand, which sucks because I love Seinfeld. So I get, so I go up on stage and I just tell the best jokes I had. Crowd loves me. And then I say, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Michael Richards. Uh, you know, Ms. Kramer, please welcome Michael Richards. They go crazy. I stood up on stage with a shit eating grin and my hand out. So he had to shake it in front of the audience. And he looked. <laughs> he then he carried a glass on stage with a cocktail sword and was pretending to fight ghosts with the cocktail sword i've never seen an audience go from so excited to hating a man faster ever in my life it was i'm telling you it wasn't even that like 30 seconds of fame they say you get it was like nine seconds after they stopped clapping that they hated this man. He gets off the stage. I run up to shake his hand again, but he won't do it. But he pats me on the back. He leaves. I'm like, what an asshole that guy was. Not kidding. Couple weeks later, I turn on TV and there's Michael Richards at the Laugh Factory just screaming the N-word. And I couldn't have been happier to just watch his career. Good things only happen to good people, right? <laughs> it's true. I love Jeff Garland's story about that, too, where he walks off stage and he's like, tough crowd tonight. He's like, do you know what you've done? <laughs> it's, it's hard when you meet your heroes and they don't they don't kind of live up to it. Oh, it is. And I, I, I didn't watch Seinfeld for... Not that he was your hero, but you know what I mean. He was up there. I mean, you watch any of those shows. I met Jerry at Gotham and he was exactly what I thought Jerry Seinfeld would be. So it wasn't, so it was just, oh, hi. Yeah. Nice to meet you. You know, just sort of exactly what I thought he would be. That's cool. Yeah. That was nice. When I opened for Gilbert Gottfried, we sat in the back and he was cool. It was right after he got fired from uh, Aflac. Aflac. He was cool. He would ask me any question I asked him, answer any question I asked him. But then he never asked me any questions back. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, and it wasn't like, you know, hey, what was your career high? You know what I mean? It was, and then he, because yes, he was not going to ask me that. <laughs> it was just like family stuff. I mean, it was, you know, just jibber jabber. And uh, I'm like, okay. At the end, he's like, will you pitch my book? I'm like, yes, I, I will yeah, sell he's... your book. <laughs> We've had him on the show. He's hilarious, but off screen, he's different. Or off stage, it's completely different. Oh, yeah. On stage, he's like, he's Gilbert Gottfried. And then, yeah, off stage, he's very quiet. Very quiet. Very guy. reserved. And then the second he turns that on, it's dark and hilarious. And it's pretty crazy how he flips that switch. Yeah. I really wanted him to do this one joke that I had heard I thought was the funniest joke of his. Mm -hmm. Bring it up so maybe he would do it on stage. <laughs> right. right. And like I'm like, oh no, no, yeah, don't no, don't do that joke. Go ahead, stick with the iron side material. <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey was the first time I opened for someone who was like super famous and like they were there to see him. You know, sometimes when like when we work at some of the clubs, right, they're just there to see comedy. Yes. Is that fair? 
Especially when we were coming up. Yeah. And so this was like the first time. It was in the magic bag. And the magic bag, they that start time weird. It's like door opens and people think that's when it starts. So they're there at seven and the show doesn't start till 10. <laughs> right. And like every time there's a lull in the music, they start clapping. And then finally, when they do start the show, I'm the guy that comes out. <laughs> mm-hmm. and they hate you. You got to win them over immediately. Yeah. And they're just like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that is a terrifying. Any of those theaters, when you do that, and you're like, all right, I'm going to walk out, and it's just disappointment. And then they like, I mean, you you did well, I'm sure, but that first couple seconds when you see their faces, you're like, right. Ah, They're like, wait, wait this, yeah, is not, exactly. yeah. this is not Gilbert Godfrey. This yeah. is the wrong Jew. We got the wrong <laughs> Jew up here right now. What is this? Is, <laughs> they have swapped Jews on us. You they can't think- just pay to see one Jew and then put out any old Jew. <laughs> they think we don't know? <laughs> I'm sure half his fans were, too. Oh, in I'm Detroit sure. In the Detroit area, it had to be a lot of Jewish fans in Detroit. I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, speaking of crazy gigs, so we've worked together a few times. And I, anytime mm-hmm. someone asks me, have you worked with Dave? I say, yes, I've, always, I've worked with Dave a few times, always at the shittiest possible place. Yes. <laughs> I've never worked it with Dave at a decent club it's always been like you know it's just some weird bar or like just something and it's like maybe one day i mean they've always been fun but they're just not not those cushy uh it's not cushy mark ridley's no you and i did i remember one room we were waiting for families to finish eating dinner and we yes. were basically sitting at a booth and there were so few people there for the show there was like five people so they were like, we're just going to let these families eat dinner and then you guys can go up on stage. And I think they still had you go up even while like a family was there with a child, like a three-year-old child at the table who I think they stayed, oddly enough, if I remember correctly for the whole show. But yeah, I remember that was just, it was like a restaurant that had no business doing comedy and it was just thrown at the audience and they were begging people to stay. Was this the restaurant where, where you had to walk up the big uh, the big flight of wood stairs? I think so. Because I remember what I remember most about that. So this flight of stairs was well, let's say forty. I mean, it was it was to a second level. So that's yes. how it was. That's how how long these stairs were. A guy walks out so drunk. I don't know if you were there for exactly <laughs> this, but he was so drunk and literally fell. Head over heels. When I say head over heels, I'm like, picture any movie where a guy falls and they have a professional stuntman falling, literally, head over heels. This is 30 (laughs) feet of stairs, people. 30 feet of stairs, head over heels. This guy is so drunk. Like, as I'm watching it happen, I'm convinced I'm watching a man die, right? I mean, that's there's just no way. How do you survive this? I mean, it's like, he gets up and gets into his car and drives away. And they have to call the police to come get the guy. That's no, I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so strange by the number of people I've seen fall down drunk at a comedy club that I, (laughs) for some reason, forgot that. But yes, because it was, there wasn't even a lot of people. No, it was empty. And then I remember you had to go up and address what had happened. Yes. It was like one big table of people or something. Well, I think it was you addressing it that got them to even react because you were like, he's just leaving? Is that? <laughs> yes. Yes. I remember, yeah, I remember. I mean, yeah. I don't, it was just, yeah, it was, it was the most surreal thing. I still can picture it to this day. You know, certain things, they just stick in your head. That was just, that was just one of them. It was just like, I just can't even believe I'm witnessing what I'm witnessing. <laughs> and I can't believe he's alive. 
It gets up like nothing. He was so drunk that even if something's shattered, he's not going to know until he gets home. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Oh, I forgot about that. Buddy to watch the show. And it was one of those where you're like, oh, I hope he just pays us and cancels. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of the gigs you and I have done together where you hope they just hand you money and say there's no show. Right, but they want to do it so they can tell their friends they had a comedy show at their place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you're like, all right, let's go up and eat it. <laughs> right. There's no there's no story to it. We had David Landau in our lobby. There's nothing. Nobody's impressed by that. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> there was a family that was eating. We uh, We just threw the show at them. Yes. Regardless of language. It was great. And then I remember like sometime there was this place in Royal Oak. There was a big, the whole opening was all glass. Oh, and they no. And they just handed us that mic. And it was just like, again, there was one table of people there or something. <laughs> oh, that was over 10 years ago. I was hammered. I That was O'Toole's. Yes, O'Toole's, yes. Yes. And you and I asked Mark if we could do it on a Sunday. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. It's fine. Right. And boy, did I regret saying yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one time really would have saved us by telling us not to do a gig in his backyard. <laughs> I think he must have just known. He was like, oh, please. <laughs> please, by all means. He's thinking, they're never going to ask again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was right. Oh, there was no stage. Middle. Of, I remember a friend of mine was there. And he's like, hey, listen, I'm a, I'm a cop now. Don't say anything about me being a cop. And I was like, okay. And then I was hammered, and at least 10 minutes was about how he was a cop while pointing at him. <laughs> That's just too funny. <laughs> yeah, I was just so wasted. That I remember that night, though. That was a terrible gig. And I think it lasted another couple months where I just didn't understand how. It was the worst. We have done a whole tour of bad gigs. Ah, the memories. But you know, those are the ones you have, those are the ones you remember. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Oddly enough, some of the good ones you're like, you're like, where was that? Was that not? No. Yeah, it always went. I always just remember the good gigs when we were coming up as like the Joey's open mics, you right. know, and just having fun on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That was always very cool. Yeah, when we were coming up, it was great. There were so many open mics. I remember like never being home. It was like, mm -hmm. you're just open mic, open mic, open mic. Those were the days. And then as they slowly all went out of business. Back then too, though, Ridley would book us on, you'd get like a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday. It wasn't the whole weekend, right? Right. And so you had the opportunity very early on to just do a Thursday. So you would be working with headliners almost immediately. It wasn't later till he would book an entire weekend. And then that was cool. All right. So back to Pam Anderson. So that was yes. your that was your third visit to live at Gotham. Fourth. Fourth? No, not according to YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But well, the first one was on Comedy Central. Okay. And then the three on YouTube were on AXS. Okay. So okay. that was the third of the AXS series, and then I did one for Oculus. So I did five altogether, but that was the third one for AXS. Gotcha. Which was Mark Cuban's network. I don't think it's still around, but it was for a while. Got it. So what were the restraints on that? Because I remember you were swearing and stuff, so there was, was there none? None. I just wanted to make a mark. The first time I did a very good club set, and the owner pulled me aside and said that was the best set he had seen. And that was an astonishing compliment. And I got invited back and did really well. And then I really pushed for a third because I wanted to tell a story. And he let me, which was amazing. Then I came back and did it for Oculus. But 
Yeah, that was the third one I had done for that show. The other ones, Jamie Kennedy was the host of the first one, and John Witherspoon, who I, I loved, was... And also from Detroit, John Witherspoon was the host of the second one. Now, let's talk about Last Comic Standing. Yes. Last Comic Standing. So, you did well, but as I'm remembering, you, did you have a kind of a thing with Roseanne? <laughs> I did. We now have the same manager, oddly enough. We, uh, Roseanne and I, Roseanne loved me the first couple episodes. And then the third round was, I told a joke and it was about a tampon string. And the reason why I did it was because Keenan Ivory Waynes was a hero of mine and he always used a reverent humor on a living color. Uh, and that's what they all said they liked about me. So I wanted to see what I could get away with on national television. And I did it, and the crowd loved it, but she starts going, I don't get it. I don't get it. So I started making fun of her for not getting the joke. And that's when she she looked upset, but she just goes, you did great. And it turned out, uh, I guess she was kind of upset about it, and the fact that the crowd was cheering me on, that I was eliminated from the series at that point. And I was brought out that night to center stage. It looked like I was going to go through to the final round. They really made it look like I just had to take two steps forward and it would be my big break. And it wasn't. They called up other people and it was, it was soul crushing. I went from being like on a national television show that we were recording in LA at Universal to in the basement of the Ricardo Montalban theater in LA talking to a, uh, suicide prevention counselor a woman who was i what's the other one so you don't go out and kill anybody oh do you mean like if there's like the person that wouldn't would get you not to jump off a roof or something yes uh well she was a suicide prevention counselor but she also didn't want me to murder anyone else oh (laughs) that's always important yes (laughs) Uh, which i get it's it's a liability for nbc to just let you go if you're broken because you are i mean it's in front of millions of people and even in the theater you're in front of a thousand so it really is a a a soul-crushing uh moment but it ended up being good because more people remembered me for that. And I sold out comedy clubs for about three weeks because that's how long people care about that show. <laughs> but for three weeks, it was pretty exciting. I remember I tried to get a hold of you and you just were not returning my calls. <laughs> no, I was it. totally <laughs> Hollywood for three weeks. 21 days of celebrity. But yeah, I was on Last Comic and I offended Roseanne, which is an astonishing achievement. And it was because she didn't get a joke. And it was interesting to see her get kicked off of television because people didn't get her joke several years later. Yes. Hers was driven by Ambien. Yours was driven by just humor. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, mine was mine was a joke about a tampon string and me being an ignorant husband where hers was about a woman having a gorilla face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the heels of of dressing up as a Hitler and, and having people cookies. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> She's got a history of great, great stuff that you can Google. <laughs> Just Google Roseanne and whatever nationality you are, and that, that, that insult right. will come up. Didn't she try... She tried to say she was Jewish, or is she? I think she was doing some Kabbalah thing and talking to a rabbi. Yes, and you're like, 
Kabbalah is like a mysticism thing. I just can't believe a publisher looked at that and was like, this is perfect. Since we're just going all in on this. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I don't she care. also, uh, <laughs> I, I think, bumped our buddy Joel from opening for her at the Fox Theater last minute. Yes. Uh, Joel and I and Corey discussed that on the Joel and Corey radio show. And then I've heard other things, too. I was talking to Rocky Laporte, and she was like, she's on Last Comic Standing. Was Rocky your season, or was she Rocky just a was j- my season? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Rocky. She was like, "Talk faster!" I'm like, "Talk faster!" <laughs> this is Rocky the ports. <laughs> well, she. That was the night that he went through, and he was shocked because she decimated him. And it was saying that it was yeah, talk faster. It's like his whole cadence is this sort of blue collar. It's like Nate Bargatze and telling him to go. Could you act like you're smarter in situations? It's like, well, no, that's. His whole thing is that he's unaware. <laughs> right. <laughs> you went, it's like telling Stephen Wright, like, have you thought about storytelling and not one-liners? Like, well, no, not what he Exactly, does. exactly. Never take everything you're doing that's working and just don't do that, you know? <laughs> Especially with Rocky. Like, you know what brings in those five to $10,000 corporate engagements now? Don't do that. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I remember watching Last Comic Standing, and I remember thinking, damn, I mean, you killed it. You really did. And, you you know, I've known other people on there and I don't always feel the same way. You know, it's like, sometimes it's like, you just have to pretend, but not not for, not with Dave Landau. (laughs) You you crushed it. You, you deserve, you deserved it. But you know what? Everything kind of happens. That was, it was a big moment. It's kind of like Jay Chris on America's Got Talent. He had that big moment where then he got to roast Pierce, Beers Morgan and stuff like that. So it's like, it's almost more memorable. You know what I mean? To, Oh, yeah, I think definitely for him. And I mean, I was very lucky. They opened the whole season on me and Wanda Sykes called and said, hey, we're going to air your entire set. And that was crazy because it was at 9 p.m. on NBC to kick off the entire season. And right. You went first. Yeah. yeah. And they and they kicked it off. They kicked off the season with a late night set. I mean, it was a five minute spot in primetime. And that was something because Wanda Sykes and Paige Horowitz, who produced the show, are genuinely good people in common. And they really were rooting for it to be a competitive series. But you have so many advertisers, so many people above them. I don't think there's a way to really do that on television and have it be authentic. I don't think there's really a way to do that anywhere without some level of bureaucracy involved with the contest. So uh, you shouldn't expect it out of that. You just have to do what you can do with it, which is clip my sets, put them on my webpage, and be like, there's a thing I did. That's about it. <laughs> it's a big thing. Thank you. Let's talk about The King of Detroit. Yes. Your movie, The King of Detroit, which I was at the premiere, whatever. Yes, thank you <laughs> for your donation as well. Tons of fun. I remember my friend, I brought my friend Tom Frawley, and he still talks about it. He still talks oh, about awesome. it. King of Detroit is a movie that you wrote. I believe you can stream it on Amazon prime now right? yes it's on prime now yep and so everyone can go listen to it i'll put it in the show notes to remind everyone but tell us all about this how did you start writing it who'd you write it with how'd you how'd you get this independent movie made in 2012 i had gotten a writing job in los angeles this is the long route for it i got hired on a friday the show was canceled after I signed for my apartment, so I was stuck in L.A. for the lease. But my buddy worked at Fox, and he's now a high up at Marvel. He produces different shows for them. I was writing scripts. It's like, well, just write a script, you know, and, and write some other stuff. Maybe we'll buy it. 
And I, I wrote the script with my friend Sebastian and my friend Ken and my friend Jimmy helped as well. And we were kind of just taking all these stories from our life and mashing them together into one night where a kid gets his first car in the 90s, goes into the hood to get, you know, liquor and drugs and everything. Right, right. And then all hell breaks loose, which was very common for the way that I grew up. We wrote it in a eh, probably like two months. And I showed it to my friend at Fox, and they offered a little bit of money, but it was pretty much just to shelf it. And I didn't want to shelf it. It was something that I really enjoyed. So I raised $7,000, which was it, which I put in at least two of. And that included buying a car, and we shot it in 13 days, marathon style, for $7,000. Just guerrilla style, no permits, no anything. And we just filmed it as quickly as we possibly could. It was kind of cool. It was like camp. It was in 2013. And I started selling it as the king. And I sold it for a couple years on the road. And people liked it. And I remember a lot of stoners really liked it. And they would show their friends. And I get a lot of nice messages about it. And one day out of nowhere, like two or three years ago, I get a phone call from a movie producer who said, hey, I saw your movie. I'd really like to put it on Amazon. I'd like to make a deal with them to to distribute it. I was like, well, it's already up there. It's a DVD. He's like, no, I want to put it on Amazon Prime, like, so people actually see it. And I was like, oh, okay, you can try if you want. He's like, no, I have the connections to do it. And he had produced several movies that were kind of B-movies. And um, he's like, we just have to change the name because there was already a, a few movies called The King. So he changed it to The King of Detroit. It, it got distribution. Amazon picked it up. They put it on Prime. And it is exactly what I like about comedy is people absolutely love it. And some people absolutely hate it. And that's <laughs> fine with me. It's exactly what I think humor should be. And... For the most part, it's, you know, a lot, the people who love it really love it. And not a week goes by where somebody doesn't put like a clip on Twitter or something and send it to me that they're watching it. It's, it's a really cool thing. Like I'll just see Robert Jenkins, for example, who's a comic wearing a diaper on his head, being a homeless guy vomiting on somebody else. And it's sort of, you know, this, these scenes in the movie that were part of my real life. We just made this thing that was over the top and somewhat accurate. And I'm very proud of it. You've done so many cool things. So many cool things. Thank you, sir. Oh, wait, I was, I was uh, watching one of your clips and you were mm -hmm. wearing with Anthony, I think you were wearing a bad boy's hat. Yes. Quick connection. My cousin it's uncle is the person who makes that logo. They made it way back when, when the Pistons were, you know, when it really was the bad boys, Billy Barris. And he, really? it's, yeah, it's his thing. Yeah. And so like, anytime I see it, it's like, it's cause it's like popular again. That's awesome. It's the greatest logo in the history of sports. Yeah. In my opinion, I had a black basketball with that on it as a kid. And I had Rodman and Isaiah Thomas and an autographed poster uh, that my brother has now that my brother and I got at the Palace of Auburn Hills back when they were the bad boys. Uh, my dad's company had a suite and we ended up going to one of the, the games because he would always ask us if we want to go to the games. And we were like, no, nah, we want to go to Double Dare Live or whatever they had, you know, that was way more for kids. But yeah, we got to meet Isaiah Thomas after he did a, a say no to drug speech. Well, you, do you remember like at one point they were really popular where these like skeleton shirts where it was like anatomically correct shirt? Yeah, of course. No, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. The same people made that. And when my my brother and I, we were like just nobody, you know, just little babies, you know, like you know, <laughs> eight, ten or you know, whatever. Like we were models in their catalog. 
So oh, really? I, I think one of us was a cowboy, one of us was an Indian. It's not a little, it's not very PC now. So I will not be releasing the photos. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't want to be ruined. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cancel oh, no, Jeff Jawaskin. <laughs> I have a picture of me wearing a Beretta shirt. Robert Blake, who murdered his wife. I have no idea if I ever even watched an episode of Beretta, but apparently my parents found a child's Beretta shirt, and I'm just wearing it standing in front of a fridge. My, d- my daughter once walked up to me with a pink, uh, we were at the mall, holds up a pink Floyd shirt and says, Dad, you know, Dark Side of the Moon or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, can I have this? I'm like, name one song, and it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's great parenting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, great parent, yeah. they would have known the songs. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. I used to listen to it, so trust me. <laughs> yeah, if they start naming off the whole catalog, you're like, are you are you all right? Are you using drugs? <laughs> like this name. <laughs> oh, man. Tell me more about the, just life on the Anthony Kumia with David Landau show. Like, what's what's that like day to day? It's really great. I mean, he's just, he's one of the funniest human beings, a genuinely nice dude. He has a crazy reputation, obviously, uh, and is known for um, being somewhat of a polarizing character, which is strange when you meet him, because I've always known him as being the sort of tough crowd group, the Colin Quinns, and, you know, his best friend was Patrice O'Neill and all, all that, Bobby Kelly. All these people who I would have never had the opportunity to meet and kind of be around, I've been able to because of him. And meeting people like Jim Norton, meeting people, you know, like Colin Quinn, uh, Rich Voss, doing a lot of the New York clubs and getting to know these people is a huge thing that he's done. And honestly, we just click. We go in and it's just talking to my friend for two hours and trying to make each other laugh at whatever we can come up with. And his whole life is he wakes up at like 2 p.m., changes, comes into work, does two hours of great radio, nails every impression he's ever been asked to do, and then he does all this prep work right before the show, gets back on the train, goes home, and then just plays video games until 7 a.m. And that's his life. That's all he does. I lived with him for the entire summer. Uh, because we had to do it out of his house and we didn't want to just lose subscribers and get rid of our show. So we did the entire show from his basement. And I lived in this guest room in a wing of his mansion, which was really cool. And I got to know him on a different level than just the radio guy. And he's, he's comes from, you know, he's got a great family, his brother, his sister, all kinds of people in his life that are great. His friend Keith, uh, his girlfriend Missy. And he's just a good guy to know and a funny guy and an irreverent guy and just one of those people who I, he doubles down, but everything is really about comedy. And when you know him, he cares about his friends. And I don't know if I've ever met anyone quicker or funnier in my life. I've seen him, I've seen him take the legs out from under the best comics on earth. Literally, I've seen him just be better than everybody in the room. I've seen him do 15 minutes of stand-up and then not know that he just did stand-up because he just walked out and talked. And he'll just come back and go, well, that wasn't what you guys do. It's like, no, it's exactly what we do. You just you just don't realize that you have this ability because you're a radio guy and not a stand-up. But even him and Norton and this dynamic, it's just cool to be part of something that I would drive around the country and listen to. 
I had never really heard of them before 2004, maybe 2005. And uh, that's when I got turned on to Opie and Anthony, and I listened religiously when I would go to gigs. And I never in a million years thought that I would be sitting in a room with any of them, let alone the co-host of a show of the guy who I loved watching or loved listening to. So, I mean, every day is surreal, to be honest. It's every day is is a, a dream come true in a, in a way, which sounds so weird to say out loud, but show business has gone in so many different directions. There's really no way to just say these are the things that you follow. I think it's about finding your own happiness and your own quality of work. So this is the thing that I wanted that would make me successful or at least proud of my time and that I've put in. And I'm lucky enough to have achieved that because he gave me a shot. And for all the no's you get and all the times you're turned down and all the stuff we have to deal with behind the scenes, this is a guy who took a chance on me almost instantaneously and has stood by it ever since. And is just, I know how to guide him when he's on the show. I know how to kind of sit back and throw in one-liners. I know when to tell a story. It It's fun being a co-host because I don't have the pressure of it all being on me. I just have to know where to take him or where to, where to, I don't want to stay, say steer the ship because that's such a negative OP thing that people bring up, but it's just getting him to do the right impression or getting him to laugh or getting him to just say anything and laugh at the sometimes horrible, horrible shit. Well, for example, he'll bring in somebody who just had their face burned off and they had the first facial surgery ever. Like, that'll just be an example of an article. And then he'll come in and I noticed that he looked like Droopy Dog. So I know that if I start pointing out that it looks like Droopy Dog, he can do a Droopy Dog impression and it just turns into hilarious radio of him going, they burned off my face and just doing this... (laughs) insanely insensitive comedy that just works and and Artie was like that too where you have Artie there I mean one of my favorite moments ever in comedy and on that show it was Artie I and Anthony and we're sitting there and for some reason Reginald Denny came up the guy who was hit with a brick uh in Compton during or in Watts during the riots in the in LA in the 90s And we started making jokes about what he did for a living now. We're like, he probably coaches ice hockey or is, you know, captain of a swim team, whatever would be not at all related to. So we ended up looking at, looking him up and what he did for a living was far funnier than anything we could even think of. He was basically like, he taught people how to use paddle boats in like the middle of Alaska. I forgot what it was, but it was something so magical that Anthony and Artie and I were in tears for 20 straight minutes at how this guy just <laughs> escaped being around to anyone. It's stuff like that that's so funny, and some of it's taboo, and some of it's what people would say right-leaning. I'm very, I'm very much center. It's just really about having fun and trying to make each other laugh, and I'm lucky enough to do it. And I know it was a long explanation, but you can probably trim it into something that sounds better than I could ever explain it. I think you explained it perfectly from the heart, and if you had one of your dreams come true, I think that's amazing. I think it's a good note to end on. Oh, wait. Oh, wait a second. I just got a text from Bob Phillips. He wants to know if <laughs> Anthony Kumia ever mentions his name. <laughs> Will he call me? <laughs> I can't thank you enough. It was so good hanging out with you. 
Dude, I can't thank you enough for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's a big deal to go from the Anthony Kumina show with David Landau to the Jeff Duwaskin show. <laughs> well, I enjoy just the same, my friend. <laughs> Where can everyone keep up with you on the socials? Um, DaveLandau.com, at LandauDave on Twitter, Dave.Landau on Instagram. I, You know, all those toxic websites, Facebook, everywhere where people are arguing. You can find me putting up things that are in no way cited. Like today, I just put up a, a panda video uh, where I'm just shaving in a mirror in a panda mask. I saw that. I was going to ask you if that was you. It's so stupid. Yeah. It was so funny, though. Thank so you, man. Funny. It's just nonsense. And I would rather put that up now because everybody wants to fight, and I'd rather just throw a monkey wrench in the middle of it and just see what people think. Awesome. All right, everyone, I'll put the, all those into the show notes and also put Dave's website. Dave has like a few albums out. You can go get those too if you need more Dave Landau in your life, which I'm saying you do. So that was, there you go. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, dude. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. All right. How fun was that? Everyone, check out Dave Landau if he comes to a comedy club in your area. He's super hilarious. Also, check out his movie, The King of Detroit, on Amazon Prime. And of course, you can listen to him all the time on The Anthony Cumia Show with Dave Landau. And you know what time it is now, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. It's time for the hashtag trend of the week with hashtag roundup. Oh, man. Today's is a good one. Hashtag great names for a car. In honor of Dave's movie, The King of Detroit, where the star of the movie gets a car from his father named The King. So here we go. We're going to dive in to hashtag great names for a car. And remember, you should get the hashtag roundup app, play along with the hashtag games, and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of the Jeff Tawaskin Show. Fame and fortune await those that tweet. Maybe a little dramatic there. Anyway, you know the drill. All these folks will be retweeted at Jeff Tawaskin Show on Twitter. Follow us there. And also retweet these good tweets. All right, here we go. Hashtag great names for a car. The bumper buster. The shagging wagon. The Democrat. Because it only makes left turns. The love machine. These are some really hashtag great names for a car. I gotta tell you. Here's one. The Karen. It's ugly and everyone wants to rear end it. Come on. Give Karen a break. Hashtag great names for a car. The midlife crisis mobile. The third divorce. The paid off. The Catmobile, meow. The Alice Cooper, Elvira, Mistress Oven Park. And finally, the last hashtag great names for a car, Ethel, because it smells like gas. All right, Hashtag great names for a car. And of course, all these games are brought to you by About Tags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. Thank you for all the fun. And I can't believe the fun has come to an end once again. Ah. Week 36 just flew by. Oh, it was so much fun hanging with all of you guys. Definitely subscribe to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Tawaskin Show. Tell all your friends. Sign up for our mailing list. Buy me a coffee. Play hashtag games. And we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.